I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. And happy Friday, everybody. I hope you all have had an amazing week, enjoying the sun where you are, all the above. Today, we have a really fun episode with Reza Izzad, who is the co-founder and partner at Underscore Talent, which if you guys aren't familiar with them, they rep some of the best and top TikTokers, YouTubers, Instagrammers, content creators in general. They have so many of my favorites that I love watching that they manage. Um, But Reza shares just how they got started, what we can look at, and just the secrets behind of how repping talent comes about, because I'm always interested in how that works and goes about. And I'm sure a lot of you are too, of like, how did this person start working with this person? Now I see them everywhere. Like, who's the like puppet master behind all of that, if you want to put it. But Reza breaks it all down for us, and I cannot wait for you all to hear it. So if you like TikTokers, if you like content creators, if you're interested in the management aspect, if you just want to hang out and ease into the weekend on a Friday afternoon, this is the episode for you. So grab a notepad, pen, paper, pager, I don't know, and let's get into today's episode. Reza, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Colin. Uh, happy Halloween to everybody listening. I know it's not Halloween when you're listening now, but it is today. So happy Halloween, everybody. Hope you're gobbling up all the candy like we are. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> um, but Rez, before we get started, we always ask the question here of what the term young influential means to you. What does the term young and influential mean to me? I mean, look, in the last what decade, a completely new form of communication has come up. And it's all driven by youth culture more than anything else. I know there's plenty of old people on the police platform, <laughs> but youth culture is really driving it forward in so many ways. And so, you know, I think it's a new way of thinking of how you can make money, a new way of thinking of how you can connect with people, a new way of thinking in terms of how you can sort of spread a message and really connect to your people, but not maybe in just one geography, but in the broader world. Um, And I think that's really what it means to me. Come on, such a good answer. And that's so true. Like it doesn't have to do anything with like, oh, I have to be this age until I can like make money or make an impact or I can't do anything now because I don't have this and that. Like we're seeing people start careers literally off their phone. So it's- I mean, on one hand, I know- you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, stuff around mental health and wellness that comes from overuse of social media apps and sort of all the FOMO and all the anxiety it creates. 
on one hand. But on the other hand, um, when I was, you know, a teenager and when I was a young, young guy coming through, I didn't have a network of people I could tap into that were similar to me, that were having similar experiences. And so I guess there's that's sort of the trade off is that, you know, on one hand, it may enhance some anxieties. But on the other hand, I don't think, you know, this this generation of of you know, Gen Z and millennial have grown up hyper connected to the world and information and how they use it, I think, determines how they feel about it in a lot of different ways. No, that's so true. Like, it's really cool how you can really find your community online. Like, I know a lot of us, like when we when YouTube and all that was coming out, many of us like started these channels or started our platforms based off of like the sense of like feeling alone and not having a sense of community and being able to like find so many like like-minded and like uh, interest type people on a platform was so powerful. And I mean, look, the other thing it did was it gave a a lot of voices to creative people who might not have gotten the shot because they didn't look a certain way, act a certain way and things like that. You look at just beauty as a, as a business, who would have thought a Jeffree star would come in and become build a, such a powerful, robust, um, type of product around what he's done and, and all the voices in beauty and how that's changed, how beauty has to market. It used to be very singular mm-hmm. in terms of, of who they reached and how they represented beauty in the world today. It's just a much broader, literally a broader palette for um, consumers and for audiences to, to learn about beauty and engage. And that, that's just one you know, very obvious point around that. Yeah, that's that space definitely has changed over the years. Like we're seeing so much like diversity, inclusion. Like, it, that's like a whole another topic I can go into. Absolutely. There's like we're so going, much. Going, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like so much has changed. I love it's it. So much. Right. That's exactly right. And it's both in. Yeah. In, in so many ways. And I think a lot of that change came from, hey, wait a second. This girl looks just like what is she doing? And that being able to sort of have a mirror that is, you know, truly a reflection of who you are as the consumer and then being able to make purchases against that has definitely changed how I think cosmetic companies think about, you know, servicing their customers in a major, major way. And definitely seeing like how our trust in our favorite influencers weighs more than like, say, a celebrity endorsement. Like if one of my favorite beauty YouTubers like Tati or whatever is like, oh, try this skincare product. Like, I'm more than likely going to trust her over, say, I don't know, like another like random celebrity that's like, oh, this is skincare work for me. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. But it's like Tati and that creator, that relationship we have with our creators now is so different. It's so strong. And I feel like we're now seeing brands and like partnerships weigh on that and see. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Um, But to kind of rewind back into like you as a kid, did like media and all that kind of play a huge influence on you like what kind of sparked your interest in like the media realm well it's funny i actually um when i was in college i worked um at on the night shift actually at a place called uh, skywalker sound it was part of george lucas's it was part of the skywalker empire and what skywalker sound did was post-production um and so i got to see a lot of movies get finished as sort of the night guy answering phones, getting bagels, getting coffee, making sure that uh, sort of things were running smoothly on on sort of the service end of of, um, of it. And it, it, it was totally fascinating me. So I actually thought I was going to get into the movie business when I started my career. 
my intention was to be in the movie business. And um, I started working for a couple of very prominent movie agents. And the reality was at, at UTA at the time where I was sort of an assistant that um, a large ad agency um, called IPG or Interpublic had tried to buy the company. The deal for whatever reason didn't happen. Um, and the company ended up, UTA ended up in a large retainer relationship with IPG. And to service like the sort of the grunt work of that account, uh, they promoted three people. I was one of the three people. So I, my first foray as sort of as an agent was representing brands and trying to have, how, figure out how they could sort of get ahead again of the 30 second spot and things like that. So that was sort of my how I got promoted and cut my teeth. So very different. Um, and that totally led me on a t completely different journey than what I started out with. And, and look, I love movies. I go to movies all the time. I watch a lot of movies. But the reality is the movie business was moved at a pace that was a lot slower than, than, than was exciting to me. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and the pace, you know, of projects sometimes takes years and that requires just a level of determination, um, that, that when I looked at it, I was like, ah, this is probably not something I want to be doing long-term. And, and so I, I felt a faster paced environment, especially when I was in my mid twenties was a better place for me. So that's sort of how I ended up moving along my career path. Um, early on. And, and I saw the opportunity, it seemed kind of interesting. And by the way, made multiple pivots um, since then. That took, and was like, did you study, like, as you continue, were you like studying film or communication to something at that same time? Or like, well, I went to USC, I actually studied history. I started, like I said, when my roommates uh, in college had an opportunity, they kind of hooked me up at, at, uh, at Skywalker, I think by my senior year in college, I was interning for a very famous like B-movie producer named Roger Corman. So I would work during the day at Roger Corman's office and at night at Skywalker. So I was pretty adamant that I was going to be working somehow in the, the, the entertainment business, but specifically the movie business. And it just didn't turn out that way at all. It was, it, it was just a, it was just, but I got to see it firsthand and it wasn't for me. That's so cool. And so like yeah. when you were doing like the agency experience and getting the experience, was that kind of where you got the concept idea to start being like, you know what, I want to kind of do my own thing. I want to like have my own talent management type thing. Is that where it kind of sparked? No, or was this like no. later down? That came down later. So, so the story was I worked at UTA for a number of years. I had the good fortune of being the agent for Eminem uh, through the movie Eight Mile. I helped put that together amongst a lot of other projects I did for him. I was involved with the music from the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh -huh. So I basically got promoted to run brand work. The brand work I did ended up really pushing me into the music business because there was a lot of need for artists to get sponsors and there was a lot of stuff. There was just a lot of crossover there. So I started doing stuff in music and the company, we started getting inbound inquiries to just represent the artists themselves. And so, you know, I partnered with a bunch of folks on representing a lot of well-known musicians. And I left um, UTA on a, you know, uh, with to, to pursue an opportunity that was very specific. And this is going to like date me. But my, my good friend was the manager of Siegfried and Roy, and he wanted to start a new business. And so 
and Siegfried and Roy were on, in the process of potential, you know, re- a retirement cycle. And so I, I joined him. And unfortunately, you know, the retirement happened prematurely. And so I ended up joining a company called The Collective, which was a management company. There was about 10 employees. I joined as a partner there and helped build the, a music business that was pretty substantial. So we managed like Linkin Park, Enrique Iglesias, oh my God. Oh my a ton of other well-known musicians. And we had about 120 employees. And so here's how I got connected into digital. One of our managers signed the first major YouTube channel. It was called Fred. Oh, I remember. Yes, I remember Fred. Oh, my God. So we we signed Fred. (laughs) And I remember like looking at going, how could what is this? Like this guy's yelling at me and I didn't quite understand it. And I, I the. The guy who signed him, Evan Weiss, I'd known for a long time. And he's like, Reza, you just got to just watch a few things and just put aside the squeaky voice for a second and just listen to what he's saying. And essentially, he was a kid who was heavily dosed on medication, right? Ritalin and all that sort of stuff. His mom was an alcoholic. His dad is on some prison sentence. He's gone. He's in love with the girl next door. And there's another guy next door who's bullying him because he also likes the net going next door. And these were all these crazy stories of trying to get through middle school. Right. And so um, we're, I was like, wow, this is more punk rock or more like subversive than I thought. And so we ended up doing a Christmas album of all things. And it did very well. Christmas um, cash. I remember that song. Exactly. So we did all that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and we were like, holy shit, you can connect YouTube and iTunes and sell a lot of music. And we were in the music business. And then and then we we decided to fund a movie because we're like, this universe requires more. And so we partnered with Brian Robbins and we made the Fred movies. And that's sort of and that success allowed us to get a lot of um, a lot of interest from that first generation of YouTube content creator. Um, so Epic Meal Time. The Annoying Orange, uh, oh Freddie Wong, yes. all those things. So that's sort of how we began our journey um, down, you know, in this process. So it was, again, being very open to things, I guess, was one side of it. Seeing a business opportunity, because there was clearly a, a transformative business opportunity around this space. And sort of going for it um, was kind of how we, we we got into it. And so... Our management company pretty quickly became a, a go-to place for many of the top early creators. And YouTube was in the beginning process of setting up the MCN business model, which was essentially, if you thought about it, service provider for content creators, right? Working on their platform. And so the thought was, why don't we go into that space? We can compete with these guys. We met them all. They seem they seem very smart and nice, but they all had a slightly different perspective. We probably had the most talent and content focused perspective versus all of our competitors. Our competitors had a more tech, let's scale that kind of perspective. Our perspective was IP, great ad sales, things that were arguably a little more traditional. And so that company became Studio 71. We got out of the management business after a couple of years of success in the space and sort of pivoted away from music and comedy and sort of the the traditional entertainment focus just on digital media. And I've been doing that for the better part since 2009. So, you know, since the inception of the creator economy at some point have had a role in, in, in its evolution. 
No, that's first of all the fact. Like, I'm still stuck on because like, Eminem's my favorite rapper. Yeah. So the fact that you got to work on Eight Mile, which turns 20 this year, like yep. shout out. Um, that's that's so incredible. That's so incredible. Like, I feel like also all the experience that you had from each of these different like past lives, quote unquote, like from film, sound, and like all that really helped and transferred. And I feel like that's one thing a lot of people nowadays don't see is like how skills from certain things can kind of transfer into other career fields and other avenues. Like you've moved around. So a lot of people are like, oh, well, I want to work in fashion, but like me working for like the social media company doesn't make sense. And it's like, you could use those social media skills to help like display like the fashion designs that you do later on or stuff. It's like people really don't know how to connect, like how things can all come together and help influence where they want to go versus like thinking in silos. Absolutely. And look, if you're on trend, right, which is kind of if you if you sort of are in the place where it's happening, the things that you've done in the past will definitely apply, particularly in new markets. Um, and, and in the entertainment space, it's it's what's old is new again. Right. So it's not it's not um, you, you don't really have to reinvent the wheel um, to stay relevant. Like I'll give you a for example. The music business has never changed its business model. They, everyone talks about creative destruction and da, da, da. they got slammed when everyone was stealing music. That's for sure. They got crushed. But they weathered through that. They, they, they right-sized their businesses so that they could support you know, some economics. And they're still in the business of placing bets on talent, acquiring long-term ownership and rights, which someone can debate whether that's sustainable in the long term and then having their winners essentially pay for all their losers and then some so that's kind of their economic model that has not changed even with spotify even with all that stuff so they've somehow managed to get through this without having to fundamentally change their business because it's hard to make stars and they feel and i think many people feel that a they do a very good job of doing that a and b you know, their checks are big enough at the right time where they can acquire all these rights I'm talking about, right? So they have enough economic weight that they can buy what they need so that their business model sustains in the future. So they, they've had to adjust, but they've fundamentally, they're rights owners that license, they used to print CDs, now they license content to streamers, right? Essentially, that, that's not that much of a deviation. And their main job is make people famous, Right. The more famous and the more relevant yeah. artist is, the more value they're able to pull out of their copyrights. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And I feel like you touched on a good key point too earlier when you were mentioning like Fred, like the Fred movies and stuff. I feel like a lot of times people are like, oh, so, like I, I just got to get famous. But it's like, OK, get in there, but also like sustaining that and then kind of leading your talent into like a business and furthering. And I feel like one of the examples that you gave with like Fred and them is like, yes, we had all these early YouTubers, but they really looked into like, OK, how can we really like brand this and make it something versus like, oh, cool, I just make quick videos where I do this thing here. And I think a lot of times we get caught up, like a lot of people get caught up in like, oh, I just want the fame and whatever, but it's like, okay, how are you going to keep it? How are you going to like really long-term that? Like, what's your niche that you're really going to build it out with? And I feel like that was something that I feel like you guys tapped on early with a lot of them. It's just like really how to build out a brand and really form a brand when at the time we really didn't know what that was and like how to really conceptualize and really deal with that. I mean, look, the it's interesting if you look at the trajectory of most cr- the, the, the creator economy, it's moved away from IP um, like Fred and like Freddie Wong with video game high school and what he was doing with all of his stuff or the annoying orange, which went on cartoon network and was IP based. It's it. A lot of the stuff we see is moving away from like more go upstreaming entertainment and stuff like that. And much more about what is the business you can start? How do you use your platform to launch a product line, launch your podcast, essentially turning yourself into a media product, which I guess is IP. And then secondarily, and maybe even more importantly, what is the product that you're going to then turn around and sell to your to your audience such that you can have, you know, a transformative amount of money and a transformative business. Um, And I think that's where the creator economy has over the past decade really moved to. Um, And less and less, there there still will be the Freds, like somebody who comes along with amazing IP and for whatever reason, it makes sense for them to do it in a longer form or in a, in a bigger platform. But, but the reality is, that over the last decade, the consumption has changed, right? Like w- streaming is essentially some version of TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, that that's eating up hours of the day. Whereas mm-hmm. the Netflix and them, they're, they're, it's not that they're subordinate to it. It's just in total hours, the, the main platforms are, you know, the YouTubes of the world are eating into what we used to normally like instead of watching Nickelodeon, everyone's on YouTube kids these days. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's changed. That's reversing the need to do a Fred movie. Right. Because if everyone is on YouTube, what's the point? <laughs> yeah. It's like, if we're all going to be watching here, like it makes more sense to just create like a long form video here than this big budget production. That's right. Like hiring and, and it's big budget and it requires a lot of people input. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've been making it in your garage or you've been making it at your studio. And now all of a sudden you're making it for this platform and you got to talk to a thousand people. And who like, might not fun. get it. <laughs> yeah. And just to rewind for all those who are listening, who are like, wait, what's underscore talent? Can you kind of give us 
like yeah. a quick synopsis background on like what is it and like what you all do. So here, here's sort of the thought behind underscore talent. Um, when so after Studio Seventy One, I I I sort of you know around 2019 2020, I was looking sort of for my next adventure, if you will. And my partner and I, we were talking, and what was clear is the market, the creator economy itself, had grown exponentially since 2009. It was a lot bigger than when we started by by you know by many by many times. And the world had also gotten more complex. When we started, it was a YouTube channel and you had a little bit of merch and you do one or two brand deals. And that was kind of the business. You know, you do 10, 15 brand deals in a year. You were super excited. Today, it's podcasting. It's Patreon. Maybe there's an OnlyFans. Maybe there's Twitch and TikTok and this, that. There's so many different platforms and so many different ways to monetize um, your audience and the world had just gotten infinitely more complex. And we didn't, we thought when we looked at the landscape, particularly in the management space, that there wasn't a real scaled operation that was able to service all the needs of a creator across all the, suddenly all the new things that were coming together. And so that was what we were attempting to build at underscore, right? A, a, a sort of a, a, a place that, can help you navigate all the pitfalls of all the things that you're going to confront and do it from a source of knowledge, right? So you have an expert in podcasting, you have an expert in subscriptions, you have an expert in merchandising and licensing, an expert in content distribution and all the things that come up around that. Maybe even some capabilities to execute the distribution side of your business such that you don't need to rely on, you know, some of the third parties out there. Um, and so that was the thinking around um, setting up the company. Um, we started actually November 1st of 2020. One, oh, wow. 20, wait, is that 2020? So we're, we're two years old, and right in the middle of the pandemic. And, you know, today we're 60 people um, and business is really good. We have you know, a couple hundred clients and um, we've been doing a lot of interesting things in the, in the last two years. It's been pretty exciting. And you guys have so many of my favorites. Like, I love Selena Meyer. She's, like, one of my favorites. She's so funny. Yes, and then you guys have the, like, LeBrant family, who I I love their story. Like, I could I could talk about them for hours. I love the LeBrants. They're so cool. The um, first meet and greet my daughter <laughs> went to was the LeBrants. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I, I love them. Like, their story is so incredible. And they're, they're, they're just such a beautiful family. They're just so loving, so kind-hearted. I could yeah. talk about them for hours, honestly. Yeah, they're great. Thank you for that. Um, but I feel like what's really cool that you guys do is just like nowadays as a creator that we've been talking about, it's like there's so many factors. And like you said, the landscape's changed so much. So if you're a creator that's like, okay, like I don't really know how to like really do the next step and really figure out like the longevity of it or like what all I need to build for my team. Like I feel like it's so important to kind of have somebody that like can sit with you and kind of like hone in and be like, okay, like what is our goal? What are we trying to do? What are our like, short-term things? What are some things you want to look at long-term versus like feeling like we have to do everything now, which I felt was kind of the mood like 10 years ago when we we're like, all right, I need merch. I need to figure out like a website. I got to do this. I got to do that. And it's like nowadays it's like, okay, let's hone in on something. What makes sense to do like right now? What is it that your audience actually like wants and what they're like, what's feasible to roll out? Because I feel like a lot of times back in the day, we would just roll out stuff and it's like, Oh, you guys buy, eat it up. And it's like, 
this is half done. Yeah, there wasn't really thought that went into this. So I feel like that's really cool that like you. I feel like you guys do a good job of like helping them kind of like hone in and making sense of like what makes sense to do first. <laughs> I mean, look, it, it's the number one thing. You can do it all, but you probably can't do it all right now, right? And that's the reality. Um, one of the one of the most interesting things is watching people go from the journey of hey, I've got a little bit of audience, I'm doing brand deals, and it's just the beginning to full lines, multi-platform distribution, maybe a podcast, maybe other elements of their business. That's always really fun to watch that kind of growth and, and be a part of that story and that journey. But you're, you're absolutely right. The timing of everything is really critical, particularly product and merchandising. And I think a lot of creators... Um, you know, have challenges around conversion around their audiences. And, and, and I think that's the, you know, it's one thing to have an audience. It's have, it's completely something completely different to have an audience that's actionable, right? An audience that if you ask them to do something, they go do it alongside you because they totally get why they're doing it. And they, it's part of a, a broader narrative that, that, that's, sometimes really hard to differentiate when the right time to do stuff mm -hmm. is but from a creator point of view really understanding you know how well you convert um and how well that works will really help you determine what you should be doing and why you should be doing it and also the value of the work that you do right and i'm going to be obvious the more you convert the the, the easier things are across the board yeah, no, that's the big thing. And it's it's challenging to figure it out. And especially like nowadays with all the different like platforms and stuff, like there's so many. So it's like, oh, do I create content over here on Instagram? Or like, oh, do I need a Snapchat channel? Or, oh, I got to maintain my YouTube. Like I feel like there's so many channels and so many things. So it's like kind of hard to kind of hone in to make sense of like which platform to really like start to and stick with. Like, do you guys usually have like a, strategy or like advice that you give to your um, creators are like, Hey, like I think we should focus more on this one or right. let's like, is there like a strategy that you guys kind of do with that? Well, look, we, we have set up a company called shorthand studios that helps creators publish on platforms. They don't want to, they, they don't want to, it's not that they don't want to focus on. They just don't have the time to focus on. So we have a group of editors that take people's content, repurpose it, um, and promote it into environments where they may not want to focus their attention. Um, when it comes to conversion, right, IG, even though it's having some declines, Facebook, high converting environment, YouTube, incredibly high converting environment. TikTok is a mixed bag. It's not always the highest converting um, environment because it sometimes will penalize you for sending traffic off the platform. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it can be very tricky in terms of how to navigate that. They've put that whenever, you know, you have a link in bio, they've sort of put a little mm -hmm. thing that stops. So you have to link. it. Down. <laughs> so so they, they've made leaving the platform a little complicated, but that doesn't mean there are, there are people on TikTok who have massive audiences that convert incredibly well. So it's not a, it's not a rule of thumb, but that's a little more complex environment. Um, but it's also an environment for the right creator where you can see massive growth 
in a way you might not see on these other platforms. It's hard to grow these days on Instagram, right? It's really hard to grow on Facebook. And I, I don't even know why we're talking about that in that terms, but it's also very hard to grow on YouTube if you're not doing shorts, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so we help advise content strategy for sure. And um, we, we have a whole suite of services to help make sure that their content is everywhere it needs to be so they can capture as much opportunity without necessarily having to do all the editorial work, uploading work um, as well. So that's a service that we offer our clients. And I feel like that's key. You brought up a good point too. Like with, you're like, uh, first of all, you're like the fifth person that said like, you need to be doing YouTube shorts. And I'm like the one that's like, but wait, how does it work? What do you do? <laughs> like, I don't, I, I feel like I don't understand how YouTube shorts work. So that, that's like a whole nother conversation yeah. <laughs> that we, we can get into. But I feel like what you touched on a good point too, like with also with these platforms, like also knowing how to talk to your audiences on these and kind of, making sure your content is kind of is native for that platform. Like what I've noticed that's really cool with a lot of these like makeup reviewers and like beauty people, they've created kind of like shortened, like how to do the reviews for like Instagram and TikTok and stuff versus like on YouTube, it used to be like a long process where it's like a lot of chit chat and stuff. So I think it's very important too to also know that if you're posting on like YouTube or YouTube shorts or whatever, like kind of how to tailor that content for short form and, make it native for the audiences there instead of just like 100%. copying and pasting a video and putting it on Facebook or whatever. And it's like how your audience view stuff on Facebook might be different than how they view it on say like Snapchat or be real or whatever. Like I feel like you have to also take that into consideration. I mean, I think the way we look at like Facebook is very different because of the ad monetization. So the rule of Facebook is you've got three seconds to capture them, really probably one second, but you got very little time. You better upfront capture everyone's attention. And literally you got 10, maybe 15 seconds where you got to flip the story on its head. Then at 30 seconds, you got to flip it. And at one minute, you're good because you're in, you're, 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 you're sort of, if they've stuck around, you're good. But it's like, 3, 15, 30, and a minute, you better have real narrative or something changes or cliffhangers or whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it to get people through the, or somebody so interesting that they can't wait to hear what they <laughs> say, right? Um, so that's the, the, you know, all these platforms have similar, similar sort of perspective. I mean, TikTok for sure, you've got, people scrolling through stuff. You've got a second or two to capture somebody to stop scrolling. Um, Same with IG reels and YouTube shorts is very similar. And that reminds me of like back, uh, like I remember years ago how it was all about for YouTube. It was all about the um, title of the video to really get the engagement in. (laughs) Like I remember how everybody was like, you have to make the title of the video like crazy to really draw them in. (laughs) YouTube is thumbnail. And I mean, so what happens like on YouTube, it's, it's a, it's a, the algorithm is real simple, right? They put your, your thumbnail and title alongside the side of a video that's considered like an impression. So it's how many impressions are you getting to people clicking through? That's the first, that's a huge metric in viewership because the more click through, the more chances it's going to be positioned. And then how long are they watching? Right. So that's, that's sort of the promotional metrics. You know, you try to perfect that, but thumbnail and titling are critical on YouTube because it's typically 
unless you're on a channel page, videos don't just start randomly on YouTube, right? Unless maybe on your TV it will, but but most configurations it doesn't mm-hmm. just randomly start. So that thumbnail and the title are critical. And then how long are people watching after that? Yeah, it's like um, those, <laughs> those, those three metrics drive essentially your core. So it's click through rate times watch time, right? Um, I guess I got to make my videos like titled, like taking my llama to school or something to get my engagement up. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Conversation isn't about taking your llama to school, but. Uh, um, But for my last question, like for those who are listening, like Reza, cool, great advice. Love your journey. But I'm a creator and I don't know what to do. Like what advice do you have for like creators or anybody who's listening that's like, how do I kind of hone in on my goals and kind of figure out how to like come up with my like long-term strategy of like taking it to the next step? Here, here I think is one of the, the best pieces of advice I can give creator. And I think this applies across every level. And I'm going to, is you got to invest in yourself, right? You are, and, and the, and the reality is you see the majority of the economics. So unlike the music business where the record company invests in the musician or the movie business where the movie studio invests in the star or the actor or alongside them or whatever you want to say, you're responsible for all of it. And as soon, and so for every dollar that comes in, instead of just treating that as like money that's going to go in my pocket and I'm going to buy this car and this, this, and this, if that money is reinvested in building a team, making sure that you have sort of the wherewithal to continue producing the the right people around you so that you can make the right decisions. I think that's probably um, one of the things because we see lack of investment at all tiers. We see it in the younger, the you know, the smaller creators, and that's hard when you're ma- when you're making just enough to survive. It's hard to invest in better gear and invest in a trip that you know will put you in a place that'll go viral, but might make you vulnerable financially. I get it, that's the hard part. Once you get through that though, once you have enough to put a roof over your head, you're, you know, you're, you're taking care of yourself, the more you can invest early on and the stronger the team you build around you, both on the creative and production side, as well as business opportunities, that's how you, that's how you win the game. And you know, creators working on these platforms are the true indie artists, right? Everyone's talking about the indie artists. And so what does that mean? You own all your stuff, check for the positive. And the downside is you're responsible for all your stuff, right? Which means you gotta, every dollar you make shouldn't be viewed as your salary. You should view yourself as a company or to quote Jay-Z as a business man. Um, and, <laughs> um, and, and invest in yourself because businesses that invest grow. Businesses that don't invest, don't grow. And how do we get to 60 people? We invested our profits. That's how we, we've invested money to grow our business. And I think that's the key thing if you want to grow. And, and you see it like in the biggest creators, right, that have built sustainable businesses, they've made massive investments, right? Rent and Link's company, Mythical Entertainment, I think it's like 70, 80, I could be wrong, it could be 100 people work to make that show and all the other content that they and, and the Smosh content and all the other content, that, that's come from investment off of the profits of what they've done. And I think that's the piece that's, that's missing. 
um, in, in, in a lot of the thinking with creators out there. Cause you're young, it's fast, it's easy. It's frankly, a lot of money. And, um, you, if you don't invest, you'll wake up going, how the hell I've got no time and I'm not feeling very happy and satisfied and you'll burn out. And all, all the things that we've read about and heard about come from lack of investment. Come on. No, so good. So good. So true. And burnout is so real. That's like a whole nother, that's like Absolutely. a whole nother podcast I could go on. I'm like that burnout you gotta is be the so star. Real. You got to be the actor, the publicist, the director, the producer, the, I mean, it's crazy town. And so as soon as you can give up the things that a, you're not the best at and give it to somebody else who's really good at it, the more, the stronger your business and your content will be. And I, I mean, I think the first place to start is on the content making process and then start to expand once that's taken care of. Cause the business of social media, there's a lot of advertising money that's in YouTube on Snapchat, on Facebook, on these platforms that pay. And, um, you know, that should be sustaining itself. Right. And then you can go from there if you, if you're doing it right. No, I felt that surrendering the things you're not good at to make the, wow. <laughs> like that's like a, it's like a whole word just drops mic at that one thing you said. <laughs> um, you. But Res, thank you. Thank you so much for coming today and giving us so much good advice. I feel like I learned a lot and now I want to go watch eight mile tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Colin, nice to see you. Wow, how great was this episode? If you were like me, you probably took a lot of notes and have a lot of questions and comments. So if you do, feel free to add us at Adweek across Twitter, Instagram, all the social medias. And we'd love to hear from you all. And feel free to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. That always helps us. And we can't wait to hear from you all and see you in the next episode. So bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Young Influentials part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Al Manorino, executive produced by Chris Aarons, and edited by Lane McGibney at Bountwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. 